This is Jason with the NFT Gaming Podcast, and we're excited in season two to dive into the founders' stories in the future of gaming. Remember, this is not financial advice, and do your own research. Now enjoy the show. I always wondered what NFT gaming would look like, and then I got in. The relationship building is the output of sovereignty. The implications are ginormous. Now you're actually making these economies closer to a real-world economy. Welcome to a new way of gaming. One that's owned by the players. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the NFT Gaming Podcast and the very first episode of Season 2 of the NFT Gaming Podcast. We had a phenomenal Season 1, interviewed a lot of great games, uh, and... Now, we're kind of kicking off this new season where we're going weekly releases, so we're stepping up the number of episodes for the show, and I'm just absolutely stoked about some of the guests that we have lined up for this season. I was blown away by just the the feedback of games that really enjoyed season one, and these game builders who are listening and have come in in droves uh, to try and get into season two. So we've got a banger lineup already. And uh, I'm excited to start this episode with none other than Alluvium. Wow, I know. This is a heavy hitter for kind of starting off the season for season two. So before we jump in, big thanks to our audience. Obviously, you guys are the ones that are making this all happen. And we also want to just take a couple minutes or a couple seconds here for a quick note from our presenting sponsor for season two. This season is brought to you by Revelar, the NFT game engine that allows you to connect your game to the blockchain. Use Revelar's easy APIs to connect your game and focus on building the game that you love. Learn more at revelar.co. Welcome back to the show. And like Jason just mentioned, Alluvium is the first guest for season two. So today we're joined by Kieran from Alluvium. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, how are you going? We're doing great. Thank you so much for being here. Now, you are the founder of Alluvium. Tell us a little bit about the game that you guys are building. For any audience member that might not be familiar, though, I know you guys have a pretty big uh, footprint already in the NFT gaming space. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually uh, a co-founder. So two of my brothers uh, founded it with me, which is, uh, is pretty interesting. But uh, yeah, so Alluvium is it's a universe of games that that we're building and it starts off with alluvium zero which is your uh, industrial city type builder you can play that on mobile the idea with with that is you're going in there to extract resources off the land that you own you then take those resources and you can either sell them for a profit or you can go into another one of the, the games that is, uh, is inside this universe, which is the overworld. And you can start using those resources to cure shards. Shards are what you use to capture those guys behind me, the, the alluvials. Then once you have the alluvials, you can either, again, sell them if that's what you're inclined to do that's that's all you're you're into or you can go into the third game inside our universe which is the arena mode and that's where you can actually start battling these alluvials that you've caught so it's this 
interoperable universe of, of AAA quality games that we've meshed together. And it's very similar to Pokemon, but with the battle systems of TFT or Dota uh, in, in terms of like the, the auto battler style. Man, you guys are really taking on a bunch of different gameplay styles. And I, I, I bet that really brings a diverse audience of, of gamers and people to your ecosystem. Can you tell us about the decision to go in, in kind of order of these different types of games, building an interoperable ecosystem? What was the thinking behind that? And how did you guys get there? So the initial idea was to basically come up with something like uh, a Pokemon. I don't know if you remember that, but it was basically, hey, we're not going to really build a game behind it. It's just going to be, I, I guess you could call it a game, but very, very basic. Then <clears throat> Grant, uh, my co-founder and the art director, he basically said, he was like, look, I, I just can't do this not AAA, right? Like every single thing that he's done his entire life across a 15, 20 year uh, CGI career is like stuff for Pepsi, for Coke, for like Mercedes. And, and so for him, it's, he couldn't do just a basic game. And so he wanted to go triple a, uh, and Aaron, I think, you know, we've, we've originally started and it was like, okay, we're going to build a, a Pokemon like game that is an auto battler as well because they were the two genres that we just basically couldn't agree to to, to uh, single off if you will so we had to include both but then aaron the the game designer my, my other brother he started building this narrative where we could have an interoperable universe and you know there's a lot of talk out there about having games that are interoperable as in like other game franchises bringing their assets in and that sort of thing is is still five ten years away but aaron thought well what if we could what if we could actually do it inside our own universe we control all of the asset creation and and all of the requirements that we need how cool would that be if like all of a sudden we have this mini game down the track in a year's time and you can take an alluvial that you've caught in the overworld and maybe you use that creature as your character in like a Mario Kart style mini game where you're driving around with a squiz, you know? So, and, and the, the point there is that you don't need to buy anything anymore. The asset that you bought, imagine like taking a Fortnite skin and then using it in their next game as a skin that you don't have to pay for. You've already got that value. It sounds like an incredible story already. Uh, I think that these AAA style games are really what's going to bring about a lot of mass adoption to this space, uh, which is really exciting for me to see kind of the quality that you guys hold yourselves to. In terms of as you had some of those initial conversations as a group, when did you decide NFTs were kind of the way to do this and create that interoperable world experience that you're talking about? Yeah, so uh, there was actually another brother in the mix and uh, he was one of the, I guess, the, the OG founding people of DeFi and he created uh, Synthetics Protocol. 
And uh, so I, I traded crypto back, you know, like six, seven years ago or whatever, uh, Ethereum back when it was like eight bucks. And so I had some exposure to crypto and uh, it, was, it wasn't until Kane mentioned that, that brother that I was talking about, he, he said, look, crypto is really taking off again. It's, uh, you know, middle of the DeFi summer. Our token has gone nuts. Like you just need to jump back in. And, uh, and so I started trading again, like heavily, like, like fully, fully degen trading, like 18 hours a day type thing, trying to learn everything about DeFi, everything about what, where's crypto gone now. And I just happened to, like, I've always loved gaming and I just happened to stumble upon Axie Infinity and they, I wasn't impressed by the game at all, but it was the underlying technology of NFTs that made me think there's what if we could actually create a, a, a game that, you know, was was decent. And then it wasn't until, uh, you know, Grant and, and Aaron came on board that it was like, OK, let's take this thing to the next level and go like fully, fully triple A here and start competing with League of Legends team fight tactics. Man, I. I think you're already on the third brother. Are there more brothers that uh, that you? That's see? it. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So the four of you, that must have been an incredible experience in in the ups and downs of co-founding a company with your brothers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I know what my brothers like, and I love them to death. But sometimes I want to punch them in the face. Sorry, Josh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Grant, I think, has punched me in the face. Uh, I think the the fourth month we were mucking around, didn't have anything to do with business, but just brotherly stuff. And uh, he is a really, really good boxer. And, you know, I'd like to think that I can, you know, throw a punch here or there. And we started having a little go at each other and getting under each other's skin. He said, mate, I'm really going to, I'm going to hurt you if you if you keep going. And of course I kept going and he cracked my rib. So, uh, yeah. So, so we have not only physical fights, we have a lot of, uh, verbal fights, but we made a pact at the start of this. And we said, look like this, this project, because we've always, we're, we're all business related, like in, in some fashion right we've some way we've either started companies together or worked in businesses together our entire lives and we've had issues our entire lives of you know being super competitive like it's just realistic right like four super competitive brothers but we made a pact at the start of this and we said no matter what happens doesn't matter you know how much we want to kill each other we have to stay on target and not let anything personal get in the way of this business. Well, this brings a new meaning to the term of like brotherhood startup, right? <laughs> Being in a brotherhood with your with your co-founders. Um, that's intense. Was there a backstory in terms of the mission that you guys aligned on, right? To get four brothers to take this pact and agree on a mission must have been uh, a, a, an interesting task. Well, I mean, it, it obviously at first started, it was, yeah, it, it was a little bit hard to navigate, right? Because Grant and I, we wanted Pokemon, 
right? We were we loved Pokemon when we were growing up. We're, like that that collecting side of it. I knew that NFTs were all about collecting, and Aaron came at it from an angle of he, he hadn't looked into crypto yet. Loved gaming, designed many many games, but had just never looked into what NFTs could do or crypto or, or anything like that. And so he was like, look, I don't want to play Pokemon. I can't dedicate years of my life to building a game that I don't like. And so he was just like, I'm, I'm not in unless you, unless we can come up with something like, can we just build team fight tactics? Like a, like a better version of team fight tactics and auto battler. And I was like, no. And so like we were sitting there going back and forth for days, actually. And and then Aaron finally was just like, you know what? I, I will design it so it's both. And then no more fighting. It's literally just, just we'll come back in 24 hours and I'll have this done. And he and Aaron's insane, right? Like he he just that night, he didn't sleep. He goes away, he does, you know. 300, 400 pages of a game design document, which basically was an amalgamation of Pokemon and TFT. And we were like, wow, that, I mean, that's just, that's amazing. And, uh, but then the trouble was getting Aaron, convincing Aaron to do AAA was really, really hard because he hadn't had that experience of designing a game of that quality before. And I was sitting there like, I know you can do it. I absolutely know you can do it. And he's like, I, I mean, I probably can as well. I'm a confident person in terms of like, you know, get me tennis coaching and I will make, turn someone into Federer, right? Like I can, I can do that, but this is something that I haven't done before. And so I'm just not confident enough to go, let's do it. But then I've got Grant <clears throat> on the other side saying, if, if we don't, go triple A now, I'm not doing it. Like I, I can't, so I'm sitting here in the middle and I'm like, God, what do I do here? And, uh, and yeah, I don't know what, what happened in the end. I think it's just, it, it came out in the wash that Aaron was like, all right, fine, fuck it. We'll go triple A and, <laughs> and, uh, and Grant was happy. And, and yeah, of course, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to, to be building this game and, and being in this space and, and kind of pioneering the the first AAA game to be built. It's it's a lot of fun. Now, are you the oldest of the brothers? I'm the youngest. You're the youngest of the brothers. <laughs> the peacemaker. I'm definitely not the peacemaker. <laughs> uh, well, the glue that holds them all together, at least. Uh, yes, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I want to get into like some of the NFT ideology and the vision for uh, Illuvium kind of getting flushed out fully. But before we get into some of those questions, I do have to know, so this whole process, because this is pretty rare that you actually get to build on a team with your brothers and your family. Has this, would you say, made you, brought you guys closer together uh, as, a brother, as a brother group? Uh, so Grant's currently not talking to me at the moment. And uh, I, I guess Aaron and I, we have a very interesting relationship anyway. And uh, I would say that that stayed relatively stable uh, across the board. But Grant and I were very close in age and we basically grew up together. Aaron and Kane are seven and nine years older. So it's things get very personal with, with Grant and I. And like 
the other thing is it's a it's a big thing right and someone will come along and say like like we just started this podcast and it's like hey you founded this and sometimes i might be exhausted or whatever like i've done like 150 of these interviews and let's say i don't clarify that and say no you know actually there's not there's three founders blah blah you know if i don't then i don't know maybe Grant's watching this or Aaron's watching this and they're like, hey, you dick, like, why'd you do that? Like, we're, we, you know what I mean? So I don't know. I, I, the thing with me is I'm kind of the front facing person. And so I try and navigate and not annoy them in that way. But uh, but yeah, it, it's, it's been really, really fun. And I think we're going to get to the end of it and be super, super close. Like the the i guess the turmoil or like the the craziness of of this what we're doing you know working so many hours every single day constantly being on call like we have 240 staff that are full time and 18 months ago this thing didn't exist you know like that that stress I don't think it's reasonable to think that three brothers wouldn't have, you know, some kind of issues, but that's where we go back to that pact. And it's like, we made a, you know, we, we made that agreement and said, no matter what, we're all good. So like, I think at the end of it, when we're looking back and, and really proud of, of what we built, we'll, uh, we'll hopefully be much closer. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's one of those ideals where, you know, I think as you as you go through the fire together, um, because startup life, especially in Web three, is is certainly trench warfare. And uh, as you said, eighteen months, and you've gone from zero to two hundred and fifty people around the world that you're responsible for as a as a co founding team. Um, that's going to put pressure on anybody. And uh, I appreciate your your vulnerability and your honesty there, Kieran. It's uh, it's good to hear that from other founders because uh, it's uh, it's a stressful environment. And I think that um, as gamers, one of the things we want to uh, hear more of and see is how does the vision of this founding team actually tie into the game that we enjoy um, playing. And uh, whether that's playing a, a, an alpha version early on and then a beta and then going into the full gameplay itself, like that story is is part of every gamer's experience with your game. So kudos to you guys uh, for, for hanging in there and, and working through that as a, as a family. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate those words. Yeah, it's um, look, it's it's tough, but at the same time, you know, we're. We're, we're all, all three of us are very realistic and we're very honest, right? Like what you see is what you get. You know, I'm, I'm not going to mince my words or anything like that. So, uh, and I think people do like that. It's like, okay, we get raw honesty from these guys. Like what actually is going on behind the scenes? So. And coming from different backgrounds of exposure to cryptocurrency and NFTs in general, was there kind of some... Uh, not not maybe disagreement, but misunderstanding or uh, even kind of uh, un, uh, unknown factors of coming into an NFT space and not knowing exactly what NFTs are capable of for maybe some of the brothers and, and what that might look like as kind of this NFT and gaming and sci-fi and AAA and game design, you know, kind of backgrounds all came together. 
Yes, yes. So we all have very diverse skill sets, right? Like, and it, that's the thing which, you know, like my 15 years of startup business experience, grinding, raising capital, all, all of that has gone into it. And I really think you need someone who's, who's like battle hardened from like startup warfare, as you say, like, like literal grueling days of no pay for weeks on end, getting through that, paying your staff instead of yourself, like all of that, you need that. Then you need a guy who has literally been at the forefront of CGI, one of the top 10 artists in the world, creating your assets and making them AAA. You need that. Then you need a guy who is crazy enough to be able to build a game design document that's 2000 pages in literally three days, right? And all three, it's like this, this trinity of, of skill sets that come together and then that filters out across through the through the team and it really resonates with them and on top of that you've you've got you know us we we work really 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 hard right like long 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 hours and uh and so yeah we those skill sets but at the same time those skill sets are good for certain things right so it might be blatantly obvious to one of us, but the other two are sitting there like, no, man, like, do we even need to use NFTs? And it's like, what? Whoa, whoa, where, what, like, where did that come from? Like, and then, you know, me sitting there being like, oh, do we, do we really need to have, you know, AAA graphics? Can we not? And Grant's like, I refuse to not. I will not work. My reputation is not, you know, so yeah, it's been tough to navigate through. But again, we, we sort of go back and say, like, whoever has the most expertise in this area, that's the person that that's the gospel, right? We'll listen to that person. And, uh, and so that's, that's why I think we've been able to navigate and, and make fewer mistakes than most teams is because we've we've got a lot of coverage in skills. I think that as you as you tell this story about you and your brothers like building this company and this game together, there's a lot that uh, there's a lot that we have to look forward to with the actual game itself. So, in kind of a transition here, I want to hear more about uh, Alluvium the game. Where is it today? And, and, and maybe a selfish question for myself, why, why Ethereum? Talk, us about the cho- talk to us about the choice of Ethereum uh, and, and where Alluvium is today. Yeah, so, I mean, Alluvium, where it is today is we've got a beta out for the survival mode. Survival mode is essentially a, a training version of Arena, which is the, you know, the PvP auto battler component. And so we've got about 7,000 people playing that. We're just about to increase that to 3,000, I think, uh, later today, which is good news for people in our community. And why we chose Ethereum is because we think Ethereum is going to win out in the end, right? Like all of these side chains and, uh, and uh, other, other scaling solutions and, and stuff like that, we, that 
on you know different networks eventually we think that that noise is is going to end and it's all going to come back to ethereum and so a ethereum has the most amount of network effects right now the most amount of devs the most amount of projects all of that kind of stuff but we think that that's going to only increase further and further and further as as it builds out and we get to uh, ETH2 and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, we're not ETH maxis. I don't want to say if another chain came flying out of the gates and, and took, let's say, 100 million Web2 gamers or uh, let's say Steam built a chain or something like that, not ruling it out. But right now, it just makes sense to be on the largest network when you're trying to be the largest game in the world. Do you, do you think you've got the the opportunity to uh, overthrow Axie in this next wave of NFT gaming and the legacy that they left in kind of the last wave? If we don't, I'll be in that harbor over there. I tell you that. <laughs> Man, that's... Did your brothers throw you in there or... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they should. They absolutely should. Uh, if, I mean, I will be throwing... Well, all three of us will be jumping in there. So <laughs> we, we can throw each other in. What is what is some of the utility value of these NFTs on Ethereum within the Alluvium kind of world that you guys are building out? So many NFTs to, to choose from. So, I, I mean, the, the utility of the Alluvials that you capture in the overworld is the ability to go into the ranked mode where you can earn yourself uh, ILV tokens as rewards for, for winning matches and, and stuff like that. Then you've got Alluvium Zero, where if you go and buy a land NFT, you have the ability to extract these resources, which are valuable for anyone playing the main game. So you can sell them to, to other players and extract the value there. Oh, there's there, yeah, there's there's so many so many different uh, examples of NFTs that we have spread across the entire universe. Well, if you've got such a broad universe, um, how are you guys tackling some of the gas fees and transaction problems on ETH one right now, um, or are you just kind of like biding your time until ETH two? I know, kind of, Jason talked a little bit about why ETH, but maybe expand on that in terms of the actual game assets and how you guys are handling that. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, originally we were meant to be launched back in November last year. And the scope of the project, we added Alluvium Zero. We added like two different game modes and a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, and so we had to have a scaling solution from day one. And so we looked at a whole bunch of different options out there. And we landed on Immutable X. And... Uh, and yeah, so so that's how we're able to scale, which means you know zero gas fees, no minting fees, and what we're trying to create for the user is a seamless integration into Web three to the point where you're playing our game and you don't even know that there's NFTs in the background, that there's a wallet integration. Literally, there's there's an onboarding process into our game because it's free to play, or you can pay money and, and start playing and earning. But essentially, there's an entire onboarding flow where you don't need a wallet, you don't need to pay anything, you don't 
know that you're on a network. You're literally just playing a game in a client and that is it. And that's, that's how we think we're going to get to actual adoption here. Like our goal is to bring web two gamers to web three games, right? And to do that, you need a frictionless experience across the board. And then once they're in and they're like, wow, I love capturing these alluvials, but what are these other ones over here? Like, how do I get a tier one? Oh, okay. I need to create a wallet and we make that really easy. You can internally create a wallet inside of our system. So you don't even have to go out and, and make an immutable wallet and a, a MetaMask wallet and all of, all of that kind of stuff if you don't want to. And we gradually step them through this process. Then we say, okay, now you've got some assets that you've gone and collected. As you can see on the Aluvidex, you can sell them. This entire process, again, they haven't created, they've only created this internal wallet. Then they might say, okay, well, now that I'm here, what is crypto, right? And this is how we, we think we're gonna get to mass adoption for, for DeFi and, and the overall general crypto market is that person is so much more likely to, to start looking at, hey, maybe I buy some Bitcoin or some Ethereum after they've experienced a really good feeling. They know games. It's not alien to them. And, you know, that's, that, is what, that is what truly, truly excites me because I think that we can be the first game to, to truly get that mainstream adoption. Man, that's excellent. I, I'm curious, Karen, what do you think, or what would you tell somebody who comes into Luvium, plays Luvium, has an incredible experience, and it's their first touch point into crypto? Why do you believe that it is, is so important for everybody to, to have exposure to this crypto world? It's permissionless. It's it's uh, ownership of of your assets. It's it's not having an intermediary to say, you know, if I'm transferring you money, why does there need to be someone in the middle of that? Why it it, it just doesn't make sense to me, and it never has. The same thing when I had that aha moment when I stumbled upon Axie. I've gamed literally all my life, like since I was four, five years old and, and since I could use a computer. And the one thing that has annoyed me or frustrated me is like things like World of Warcraft gold, they never let you sell it. So you got random people meeting up on the street and the, like all of this stuff, why? Like I don't like rules, right? Like I hate rules. And so for me, I'm like, I, caught that. I spent the thousand hours to get to that final boss that dropped the sword of destiny, which I needed, you know, everyone is, is seeking this sword. Why can't I then sell that to someone? Why can't I then keep that forever? Why, if they sell the game, does my asset go with it? And all of these questions made me think, you know, if, if there was, if, if, there was something else, you know, if there was some sort of technology where users could have real world ownership of their assets, it would be insane. And gamers have been wanting this for years and years and years. So that's, that's why it's so important. Yeah. We've talked to a lot of different games on this podcast and 
kind of a reoccurring theme that I hear over and over again is about the ease of use and getting users onboarded from Web2 in a seamless process. But most founders also kind of point back to Axie Infinity as like this aha moment. I know that was for us as well, kind of seeing that for the first time. So for somebody who might not know uh, all that much about Axie, it's kind of a uh, a monsters fighting game where they used NFTs. And it was kind of the first one to really make a name for itself in NFT gaming. But what was it about seeing that game, Karen, that really made that aha moment click in your head? It was when I could sell the asset. So it actually, I, I didn't even really know what I was doing, right? Like I just, I was Playing the game the back then, and I'm, they probably fixed this now, but it was a very janky onboarding process. Like you had to connect multiple different wallets and, and stuff like that and transfer it onto a bridge and all this. And once I finally got on there and you had to go and buy these assets, right? Like that was how you started the game. And I was like, what the hell is... Like, why do I need to... Like every game that I've played, they give you... A character right like what what is this and and so I was kind of like surely no one's doing this like you wouldn't like you would play first then you would buy assets maybe like I don't know and then I started doing a bit of research and I was like holy shit this thing has like 10,000 players or something and this is like early 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 days and and 10,000 players in crypto like that's that's a that's a very big deal uh, especially back then, but I had to go and buy these assets and I had to spend $1,500. That was how much it was. That was the barrier to entry to get in back then. And I remember calling my brothers and saying, like, I was actually on the phone with them. And I was like, this is just insane. Like I've been trying for an hour to get into this game, but people are doing it. Like why? Like why are they playing this game and it was when I bought those axes and I had them in my wallet and then I realized I was like this is why people are doing it these like they're getting these axes they're battling them and the the ability to then leave this game and sell those assets because I'll be it's probably not nice or whatever but I wasn't thrilled with axie Right. And so when I was like, okay, this game's shit, I, I want to sell these, these assets. Like I've just blown $1,500 on a game that is like 2d and all this. And so I was like, I want to sell them. And then it was like, Oh my God. Right. That's what people are doing. Like the ability to have verifiable ownership of your assets is, is what is gravitating people to, to this game. And then you start looking into things like the in-game yield that people could earn. And I just like, there were just so many trigger points where I was like, this, this is it, right? Like this is the new age of gaming. And, uh, and then, yeah, we, we just decided to start building. So I know one of the things that clicked for us on, on Axie was the, the idea of this in-game economy and, and how you could actually earn uh, value on top of, you know, once you're in and you own these core assets, you can actually earn daily value to some degree. Um, and, and then there's the whole market element, right? So it actually became quite overwhelming and complex, I think, for a lot of people. 
Um, how are you guys approaching an in-game economy model? Um, I, I know you talked a little bit about resources in one type of gameplay, bringing those into other types of gameplay. Walk us through what that looks like for the, the entire Alluvium universe. Yeah, so when you're talking real world economies, you need to like stabilizing it and, uh, and getting longevity out of that is critical. Right. And so you need to keep inflation low, right? That's, that's the idea. And how do you keep inflation low while you have, you know, millions and millions of, of players joining your game? They're, they're going to be capturing or buying these assets, right? It's just normal. And so we've built in multiple deflationary aspects uh, across the board in, uh, in our alluvials we have sets and so think about it like uh, in the first set there's there's about 185 alluvials for you to capture and that might last no one knows that's the first thing how long it's going to last but that might last six months and then you will never ever be able to capture those alluvials again right so you've got this finite amount all of a sudden in the world and you've still got millions and millions of players, ideally, coming into the system. Then those guys are like, well, what are these tier ones that everyone's using? Because remember, you can use them in battle. So you're going into battle and you're like, God damn it, I really want that character, but I can't get it because I wasn't, I didn't know about this game yet, right? I didn't know crypto was gonna be this massive thing. So these guys have this early advantage and so what do you do? You go into the marketplace and you buy them. And as we go to set three, set four, set five, ideally, instead of constantly just minting the same NFTs over and over and over and over again, there's a finite amount of them. Plus, there's it's actually not finite because it's, uh, it's deflationary as well in, in the sense that you can fuse alluvials. So you can take... A stage one and you you get three stage ones fuse them together and it'll turn into its stage two version so we burn three nfts so now if you think about it if we use that that same model and we apply it to this set one theoretically over time alluvials could potentially go extinct and Aaron's made it so they can't actually go fully extinct, that, that you can only have, uh, a, there could be a single one left of set one of those 185 alluvials. And so that's the, the whole idea is as more and more people come in, we just keep on creating these character sets and it keeps on getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And people are happy that their, tier, their, their set one assets are appreciating in value over time because they're getting rarer and rarer. I think this definitely highlights a couple of things that are really important in games because a lot of Web 2 gamers will point to Web 3 games and kind of point out like, well, this is just a Ponzi scheme or, you know, you kind of have to keep adding players. And I really like hearing games that have kind of thought through some of these issues and they're using different mechanics that uh, are maybe 
familiar to Web2 gamers already, such as kind of seasons or as you called it, you know, sets or whatever. But seasons is really what they are, right? And then like the skins from those seasons go away over time. Like in Fortnite, you can't get the John Wick skin from season one anymore. And so uh, you see somebody running around with that and you're like, ah, man, that player was there from the beginning. Like even though it has no utility value, it's still really cool that they have that one thing. And so you've got kind of that aspect or you've got this, you know, deflationary economy of fusing and crafting. I think that's another way that games can explore kind of making sure that they're not falling into that Ponzi scheme sort of criticism that a lot of Web2 games uh, have. So I, I love hearing these stories about the different ways that games are tackling this issue. How do you guys tackle ownership within your game and what people can do with their alluviums uh, that they own as NFTs. So if I own them, um, how do you guys handle some of the IP rights and some of those questions that arise when it comes to gaming? And we've never really seen NFT games in the real world yet. So we are very, we're building a franchise, right? Like we're in in terms of, so Grant, he comes from a print background as, very, very connected in CGI. He's brought in a whole bunch of uh, people in his network that have worked on like major, major, major films. We're talking, you know, Star Wars, Godzilla, all of these types of of massive, massive uh, movies. And so for him, he wants to turn it into like that, that movie style or even a tv show similar to like pokemon where it's got this awesome lore narrative through it amazing graphics and uh, and a lot of the people on the team want to do that as well and so we are very protective of our ip we haven't said that with the ownership of your assets you'll be able to go and you know sell the ip rights of your squeeze or your ramfire or whatever like that just because not because we're against that or anything like that but because we need to the our planned our, our five to ten year vision for this is to literally have our ip everywhere in the form of merchandise movies tv show even a crazy behind the scenes netflix documentary of basically the three brothers trying to rip each other apart and the sprinkling of the the crazy full-timers that we have in here because the amount of characters is is insane so um so yeah we're we're we haven't gone down that route and it's not i'm not ruling it out or anything like that but i and i get your question there's there's a lot of pfp projects which are using that as a a way to to give utility back to people board apes is probably the the best example there but yeah we're just treating it a little bit differently do you think that your vision for that being able to turn it into a franchise have this vision as uh you know co-founders in this company leading alluvium forward do you think that actually helps strengthen the ownership of these assets for all the players, even if they don't have commercial rights over a Squiz or a Ramfire or something? I think it gives people confidence that that Charizard card that I had back 20 years ago, you know, that that is now 
super super valuable based on the fact that pokemon is a franchise there's merchandise everywhere you see the brand there's there's so much value in that brand that people still want those cards i think people have confidence in knowing that we are not going anywhere for the next 10 years right we're building games that are of impeccable quality we we refuse to not do that and with that you're going to see you know five, six, seven, eight titles over the next 10 years that we produce and deliver. And I think that gives people confidence that, yeah, I do want to hold the Genesis set of Alluvials because this thing isn't a flash in the pan like most crypto projects. So I, I know that you've kind of poked uh, poked a couple times at TFT um, and, and Riot and their... Uh, popularity that rose from League of Legends and then into these other game modes of, of team fight tactics and some some other things. Um, how, how do you think about growing this franchise or this company to compete with entrenched uh, gaming companies like Riot? So Web three, that's that's our silver bullet, right? Like now. If you ask me that question in Web 2, I would say we're going to beat them because we have a game designer that was literally addicted to that game for so many years and every little gripe that he's ever had, he's made sure that our game doesn't have it. And so when you're talking an auto battler, I would say I would back that guy to build a better auto battler than anyone on the planet, right? So we'd, we would have that, but we're in web three. So we've got two things. So in the background, that is happening. Aaron is designing and we are building a game that I am very, very, very confident will end up being. It, if you ask Aaron, he'll say, oh, probably not. You know, it's, it's, I love to, you know, but I'm going to hit you straight and say, I, I almost guarantee it's going to be better, right? But when you go to a TFT player and you say, oh, you love playing TFT. How many of those characters do you own and, and can go and sell? And it's like, okay, but your game's shit. You're in crypto. Oh, is it? How about you go over here and play? We already have professional TFT players playing our basic beta, which we built in literally 12 months, you know, from scratch. So the difference is that that ownership of assets is what's going to prevail. The reason it hasn't caught on yet is the games aren't good, right? You can't go to a TFT player now and say, hey, come on over to crypto. We've got all these beautiful games over here because we don't, right? Like that's just the reality. And, but when you can, and, and when we do have all these games and studios start releasing and, and building these AAA titles with ownership of assets, and the ability to earn and, and all of the amazing things that you get with it. My question is, why would I play a Web 2 game? I love this guy's confidence and the excitement. You can just feel it. Wow. I want one of these, uh, I want one of these t-shirts with a merch now. <laughs> signed, signed, signed by all three brothers as they're fighting over the last beer. <laughs> Oh man! So uh, I I know this has been a lot of fun, uh, and and we're getting towards the end of the episode here. What are ways that gamers who are listening to this podcast and maybe intimidated by Web three, 
and they're really excited to hear some of your vision around frictionless ways to play games and they want to check out Alluvium more. Where should they start? What What's the best way to get involved at this point? The best place is the Discord. And so the, the, the other thing that I haven't even touched on is we're fully decentralized. So we're governed by the people. So imagine if on top of everything that I just spoke about, all of these benefits that you get with Web3 and the game is actually good, guys. No issues there. <laughs> on top of that, you get to decide how the game is built. You get to decide if you want to remove a character, if you want to add a character, if we want to uh, not build a MOBA expansion and we build a first-person shooter or a racing game or whatever. Literally, the people who own the ILV token, they control the the progress and, and the delivery of the game. And so that's a really, really cool aspect. And to get involved in that, the best place is the Discord. You go in there, there's 220,000 people in there. And, uh, and yeah, it's just an awesome community where you can really see like, okay, like maybe web three actually isn't so bad. Like these are real people. They've already converted over like web three gamers. We didn't just start gaming in web three, right? Like we have been web two gamers that saw the light and we converted over. And so, yeah, I would say jump into the discord. You can follow us on Twitter, but, um, yeah, we got we got some awesome stuff. I'll, of course, link all of those in the description down below in the episode so you can go check out all those links. Um, and before we wrap up, now that you've brought it up, I actually want to touch on this because I have some questions on your decentralized aspect. How do you guys as a game team handle being fully decentralized like this and uh, giving kind of the decision-making power over to your community I'm sure through a voting mechanism kind of with those uh, tokens, how does that affect the way that you look at your roadmap and uh, decide what you're going to build and even prioritize certain things? Are there situations where you get partway down the line and then everyone's like, oh, nope, don't build that. And you're like, ah, but... (laughs) It's the fifth brother, man. Yes. It's the fifth brother that comes in. (laughs) It's that shadow brother. It's just millions of them. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, it's... It has its challenges, I'll say, but it also has many, many positives, right? Like it, it the, our community is so strong. They know if we miss something and, and I'll, I'll draw that back a little bit. So we built a very, very clear white paper, a very clear project plan of exactly where we wanted to go. And of course we built up on that scope as we've gone along, we've, we've thought it's, we just need to add this, we need to add this. And so it has gotten larger, but we very much have people in our community on board with our vision, right? And so the council, which is our, our governance, they're there to improve the the protocol, right? So not so much to just derail us. And, and yes, they theoretically have the power to do so, but it's all about more so keep, keeping us within the rails, right? Like if ever there's something that we miss, they can write an IIP, which is an improvement proposal and say, hey, you guys, you missed this. Uh, one example of it is with our staking, uh, uh, 
initially the team and the seed investors were able to stake their locked tokens. That would have meant a really, really bad uh, distribution for the community. And the community said, hey, that's wrong. Like we didn't pick that up in the white paper. You guys are about to start staking. We can't, like this will be really, really bad. And so we go back to the drawing board, we change it and we move forward. And so it, it's been pretty smooth for, for the most part, I would say. But uh, yeah, it's, it's challenging, but it's just part of the fun, right? It just makes it so much more dynamic and, and entertaining and, and just fun, which is what I'm all about. <laughs> Well, and I, I can imagine as a seasoned leadership team, and, and you know this from having 15 years, over 15 years in the startup space, that that accountability, especially for founders, can be a guiding light when you're having just the worst day, right? And it can be so helpful uh, to, to have somebody uh, aligned with your vision that helps you through that process. 100%. Yeah. And it's especially good when it's 250,000 people that are backing you. It's, it, it helps. It's good. One of the things that I think this whole idea and probably this whole episode really highlights is that a lot of these questions are not black and white or like, you know, this option or that option. It's really a spectrum, right? And you have like ownership is a spectrum and governance is a spectrum. And so it's interesting to me as we interview these different games, these different founders, to see how different teams land on different kind of levels of the spectrum. And from what it sounds like, you know, Alluvium, maybe not as much on the IP rights, you know, and the ownership spectrum, there may be a little bit uh, over on one end, but then on the governance, they're fully decentralized. They're letting their community dictate where the project is going. It's interesting to see kind of these different combinations for me. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think you've given us an incredible insight on what the future of NFT gaming is going to look like and uh, the high standard that you're holding yourselves to as a team. Um, as, as you go forward and you're setting up this legacy to topple Axie, which we'll, we'll absolutely, uh, uh, absolutely look for you guys to do, what is the, what's the last thing that you'd like to close on in terms of sharing with all of the gamers out there who are looking at this transition from web two to web three. And they're just asking themselves like, why should I get involved? What, what, what's that last note that you would leave them? So I, I know I speak sometimes a little bit negatively about the space right now. And I say, you know, there's, there's no good games and, and stuff like that. I don't want to seem so pessimistic that it's like, hey, we're, we're the only game building. That's not the case, right? Like I, I assure you, and, and you know, you guys interview games all the time. The trouble is there's no games out, right? And so what I would like to, to get across to Web2 gamers is you right now, there are probably 10 projects that are building in stealth that are AAA quality. I've the the teams have come from Web Two Studios. They've broken off. They've they've left a riot. They've left a Blizzard, Ubisoft, and they've formed a team. And they're starting to bring devs and artists from traditional Web Two Studios, and they're bringing them over to Web Three. I'm literally watch. I I'm so lucky that I I'm entrenched in this space enough that I see these teams forming. And so it's not just going to be us. 
there is going to be a first person shooter. There's going to be a racer. There's going to be an MMO. There's going to be a MOBA. I'm literally watching them be built. And so I would say right now you might look at it and it's kind of a barren wasteland of like, you know, these, these Ponzi's that pop up and all this kind of stuff that is going to change. And once it changes and you see all of the, the, the benefits that the blockchain gaming actually gives you, and you don't even realize that you're, you're on a blockchain or you're using a digital wallet or anything like that. You're just back to playing real fun games again, except you can maybe earn a little bit of cash while you're playing and have fun. That's when things are going to start getting really interesting. And this is going to be the next frontier of gaming. I, I truly, truly believe that. It's great to hear your vision for how this Web3 gaming ecosystem is going to grow. I am 100% on board. I think that these high quality, fun, repeatable experiences, these good games that come out, those are going to be the ones that really attract Web2 gamers to come into this space and give it a try. It's going to make it a lot less scary. And that's what we're really passionate about at the NFT Gaming Podcast. Uh, we started this because we wanted Web2 gamers to know that there's some really exciting stuff coming. And this is the future of gaming. Uh, but we're going to have to be the ones that kind of like rise up and and demand it. Like it's going to come from a consumer player driven perspective of people that are coming into these Web3 games uh, and really saying, no, this is the way gaming should be done. So I'm really excited to, to see you guys continue to grow. I'm really excited to see this movement continue to grow. We're all very excited about what's to come. Uh, Kieran, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's been great having you for our first episode of season two. Thank you guys. Yeah, I'm fired up already. Yeah, like really, really appreciate what you guys are doing. You know, we need more people like you that are, that are pushing this narrative of it's, it's not all bad over here. Well, thank you so much again. And I will go ahead and link all those those uh, links for Alluvium in the description, like I mentioned earlier. So if you're listening to this, definitely go check that out. Join their community. They've got some amazing videos online that you should check out as well. And uh, stay tuned because there's another episode of the NFT Gaming Podcast, Jason. It's coming next week. So we're going weekly now for season two. Uh, another big thanks to Kyrian and Alluvium for coming on the show to kickstart us in season two of the NFT Gaming Podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>